Welcome to the Reclaim Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can visit our website at reclaimchurchtx.com. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. And first of all, I just want to welcome everybody that's here. I know we have several churches represented here, right? We, we, got, we got Pastor Nick's church, right? He's here. All right, there it is. And then we have um, uh, Pastor Angel's church, right? Well, oh, wow. Okay. Is this a competition? Did, did we just get into a competition? Yeah. So, and we also have our generous host, Pastor Mike Hernandez. Let me, let me just kind of open up. Um, you know, I could write a book about each of these guys and what they've meant in my life. Um, I, we've done ministry together for a long time. And what I mean by that is when you start to get the titles out of the way of things, you're just doing ministry together. That's what you're doing. And so when the, when the vision came from them to just start the, you know, the churches out here in Texas, it made absolutely zero sense to me. I was upset each time. I'm like, what? I think when you got sent out, Pastor Angel, I started crying when your name was announced. I was a mess. Still bitter. <laughs> but no, I'm just so proud of what God is doing. And um, we are a network. We do ministry together. And the purpose of this, this whole thing that we're doing, and it is going to be a little different tonight. I just want to set a tone that, you know, you can get up and stretch, okay? No, nobody's going to yell at you, all right? But I want you to get a little loose, all right? Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, and then I'll open up in prayer. Uh, you're probably wondering, why is this Mexican George Costanza guy standing in front of you talking to you right now, okay? Well, I, I actually have no idea how I ended up here. When I look back at my life, I grew up in San Jose, California. And, um, and, and you know, I, I never thought that I would walk into a church in the city of Paramount, in the county of Los Angeles and tell myself that I would teach the Bible. That wasn't who I was. That wasn't something that I that was planned. Um, and how many of you know life just doesn't go the way you plan it? But God moves through, through circumstances. He moves through people. And he's going to move in your life in ways that you've never thought of, in ways that... You know, when, you, when you're a little kid, you, you think about, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be, a, a, you know, I want to be a police officer or a fireman. Um, at least I hope the kids still think that. You know, we need servicemen. Um, but, you know, we, you start to do, you start to dream about these things, but you never say, I want to be a pastor. And so um, Pastor Omar just made me and my wife and I, my beautiful wife and my children are here with me. If we can give them a round of applause. If I can't, I can't tell you, man, like, Anytime I tell her, like, I'm putting slides together or something like that, my wife just treats me so good. Like, she brings me food. She's a, and I, I feel terrible, right? Because I'm like, I'm not doing anything, you know? My, my chores aren't done, you know, because I'm just letting it all go. You know, I get, I get entrenched. I can't, I can't do it without you. And so I love you. Thank you so much for being by my side. Um, so... A little bit about me. I, yeah, I grew up in San Jose, and then I ended up coming out to Los Angeles for, for school, and I, I, I didn't plan this either. I, I transferred into a, a college called Biola University, which just means, you know, Bible Institute of Los Angeles. 
Uh, and, and so I, I, I started to learn the word of God differently than I did in church. I started to get kind of trained in the word of God. And I actually have a, a minor in biblical studies. And now I run which, what we call Reach Bible Institute. And uh, I, I'm a one-man show right now, but that's in the future, I already know that's not going to be the case. There's going to be a few of us teaching because we need more teachers in the church. And, and I, I'll tell you this, uh, when the pandemic hit, teachers, I, I just felt it. The church needed teachers. There's a lot of things out there that are jacking people up. There's this doctrine, there's these different doctrines, and it sounds beautiful, it sounds sweet, but it doesn't sound like my word. It doesn't sound completely right. And I know that the Bible is timeless. And I know that it's changed lives. And I have friends that I go to church with to this day that were murderers put in prison, but they read the Bible and now they're completely different. And I know that because I know them. And I'm, I look at them and I say, I could never imagine, I could never imagine that you would harm anybody. I can never imagine seeing you in prison. And I realize the Bible's powerful, man. It's not the pastor. It's not the preacher. It's not the guy on YouTube. It's none of that. It's the word of God. It's the word of God that changes people. So when I went to Biola University, I was introduced to how to read the Bible, how to study it. And Pastor Mike, you know, we would talk and he says, man, you know, we just need to put something together to show people how to read the Bible, how to study it. How should they be reading? Because so many times we walk into the building, a church, and you know what? Nobody sits down with us and begins to open it up. Well, you know, there's these chapters here and there's, and really you have, you're, you're kind of just kind of left to figure it out on your own. Yeah, you get verses up on the screen, but it doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know what those verses are even about. And, and you can't really begin to dissect the word. It's a heavy word. To dissect the word of God, you have to know certain things before you even begin to do it. So let me just pray, and then we're going to get right into the slides. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. Father, I ask that you would just begin to move. Lord, that your spirit would guide me. Father, that it be your words and not mine. Lord, we pray for every mind in this place that wants to know you more. We pray that your character would be revealed, Lord, more than ever. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to begin to speak to us. And we submit ourselves to you this evening, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the Word of God. That's, that's a heavy, heavy title, right? When you begin to think about the Bible, right? The Word of God is not like any other book. One thing I've known is I've read books. As a matter of fact, I kind of like sci-fi. Anybody like sci-fi? I like sci-fi a little bit. I like Dune. You guys seen Dune? Yeah, so Dune, Dune is like 800 pages, okay? But I read differently now, and, I, and this is just an example, and I'll get to it later, but I read, I read sci-fi just a little bit differently now because I'm a Christian, and, and, and because I'm a Christian, it's inside of me. I love when movies use like biblical principles. I get all amped up in the movie. I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I wonder if the author really wrote that, right? And so I get really amped that way. And so I look at things differently and I realize it's because of what's inside of me and it's because the Bible is alive. If you don't get anything out of this seminar for the next two days, the Bible is alive. In other words, it begins to speak to you. 
It begins to speak to you in different ways. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And when Paul is writing there in 2 Timothy, if you don't catch it and you don't know this, Paul wrote that. And he's writing to a young preacher. He's writing to somebody that needs some instruction. This young preacher is very, very, very over his head. He's feeling a little heavy. His shoulders are heavy. And Paul is writing him from a form of encouragement. And he uses that, hey, we are inspired by God. The Bible's never proven wrong. It's a history book. I love it because I'll call it extra biblical sources begin to look to the Bible to find different things. I remember I was watching Indiana Jones when I was a kid. Anybody seen that movie? I just dated myself, I know. But Indiana Jones, right, when they're they're, they're finding the Ark of the Covenant, you know? It's like, well, the only way you're going to find the Ark of the Covenant is you read the Old Testament. Because really there's no other book that records where the Ark of the Covenant is. So the Bible is a history book. It's a, it's a history book. As much as, you know, modern education doesn't want to call it that, it really is a history book, okay? And, 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 and it's powerful because extra-biblical sources, history books actually reference, they don't admit it, the Bible when you're studying this Mediterranean area. It's studying this Mediterranean The Bible begins to, this record of events that no other book really brings out. Archaeologists use it. It contains God's will for your life. It speaks loudly. It will make you cringe. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll change your heart. This book has everything. And sometimes some of those things are really awful. And you're like, what is this telling us? Well, it's telling us something about God. So when you open God's word, you need to understand that it's going to tell you something about his character. See, when you've fall in love, for those of you that haven't yet, okay, when you fall in love, you want to know everything about that person. You want to know, you know, everything. Just, you know, what's your favorite color? What's your, what kind of music do you like? What kind of, you, you begin to know somebody that way. It's same thing with your love for God. I, be, I began to develop a passion where I wanted to know more about his character. I wanted to know why he did the things he did and how he did the things he did. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And it is discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Bible's a weapon. It's a sword. The Bible describes itself as a sword, a weapon. We see Jesus himself, as he's being tempted in the garden, use three verses to fight off Satan. Well, if you ask me, you know, Satan's a heavy battle. Some of us, you know, lose to him frequently, right? And so you're, you're probably like, well, how did Jesus overcome Satan? You know, all he did was quote three scriptures. But yet, we try to do it on our own, right? We try, to, we try to do things on our own, and we try to think that we have all the answers, right? So today, churchgoers don't know the Bible. I talk to a lot of pastors they think, you know, we think we know the Bible, but do they really know it, right? And maybe you picked up a book, and, and you probably learned what the Bible, how it's made up, and everything like that. And if you did that, praise God to you. 
because today we're going to go over some basics, okay? We are going to go over a little bit of history. So if we can go to the, I think I have Isaiah back there, right? Is he back? Oh, he is. I didn't see your head pop up there. Thank you. Um, but this is our outline, and you may not be able to, go ahead and go to the next slide, Isaiah. This is our outline. So we have day one, day two, okay? And I know you may not be able to see that. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But I'm going to read everything I can to you tonight, okay? So day one, we're going to talk about the Reformation, and we're going to talk about foreknowledge, what you need to know in order to read the Bible. Then day two, we're going to learn about the inductive method, the figures of speech, and then we're going to practice. I'm actually going to give you some homework tonight. Why would you do that? I have to bring God home? Yeah, you have to bring God home tonight. You know, that's what we do. You know, when we're trying to learn more about God, we want to bring him home. So what's the purpose of Scripture? You'll see this handsome man on the, in the left there. I'm sure you could see that. That's the Apostle Paul. I put his name there. I just, I like to use art, okay, when I, when I put these slides together. But I'm going to read this to you. The first bullet point says, what is the purpose of Scripture? It says, Scripture is not only intended as a moral guidebook or a collection of propositions to believe. Its purpose is to reveal God's plan and purposes throughout human history. So really, it's about God's plan. It's about what he's going to do, Right? And so we have to understand that when we're reading God's word, we are reading a history book, but we're also reading something where God wants to communicate to his creation. So when you look at it that way, you're not just reading Dune, a sci-fi book, right? You're actually reading something that was intended to make an impact on your life. It was written with a purpose and it was preserved with a purpose. That preservation included life and death and only to preserve it. And so when we look at it, you probably don't think, oh, it's just another book. It's just the same thing. I'm just reading stories of these fictional characters. You're wrong. They're not fictional characters. These are recorded events of history, and they were recorded because God wanted them to be recorded. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient. Thank you so much, bro. Let's give Jeremy a hand. (laughs) Scripture reveals God's character. There is no other place where we can learn more about the creator. Wow. So where can you go learn more about the creator? The Bible. What other book? Anybody got any other ideas? Anybody got any other ideas where they can learn more about the creator? No, we're created with an intelligent design. We're created with a purpose, right? There's a system, and we just got out of some theology classes. I said, our God is a creative God. He creates a system. And this system, it's really important that you understand, is perfect. It breeds life. When you go hiking and you go up into the mountains, I don't know if there's mountains here. Is there mountains here? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you know, we should just end it now because can't explain this, but you go. To, you guys ever see nature? <laughs> right? You see nature, and then you start to realize, hey, you know what? God is real. He's powerful. It's beautiful. So what should we expect from Scripture, right? I'm going to read this to you. God speaks to us about love, truth, justice, righteousness, and the effects of him in our own lives and in the world. And then God speaks to us in the history recorded in the Bible. So because the history is recorded, he begins to speak to us. So God speaks to us in the history recorded in the Bible. We can expect 
spiritual growth as we study the Bible and apply what we learn. We can expect a growing understanding of God's standards of right and wrong. We can expect our Bible study to help us understand the problems of people in other times and to learn how God did or did not respond to their problems. So basically, if God didn't like this, then chances are he's not going to like it when you do it, when you do it. Right? If he didn't like when, you know, let me just pick something out of the air here in the Bible. If he didn't like when David looked at Bathsheba, then why on earth would you look at Bathsheba? Right? If he didn't like, um, you know, and you know the outcomes of these, right? These are, yeah, nothing good came out of, out of that, right? David just continued to hide it. But you, you start to look at these things. And you need to look at it like, well, you know, how do I apply this to my life? We can expect the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our study, right? And, and, and this is heavy. If, if those of you have ever asked God for wisdom and you want to read God's word, I highly challenge you to read it in an appointed time where you set time aside and you begin to think about his goodness. You can begin to open up the word. You'll start to feel the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you. See, you, the only way you're going to know God's voice is if you read God's voice. You read his word. That's when you begin to hear his voice. People say, I don't hear God's voice enough in my life. That means you're not reading enough. It doesn't mean that, oh, I need to go to every service so I hear God's voice, or I need to tune into this YouTube channel because I need to hear God's voice. No, God's voice is literally inside of here, and he'll begin to speak to you. We can expect what is the last? We could expect fellowship with God in our study. We can understand the characters even more, right? Or we can understand God's character even more. So we want to know who God is. You got to read his word. A lot of people want to live off experiences. It's not enough. Doesn't mean experience is wrong, but sometimes your, you know, your experience can be confusing. But when you have God's word to line up with that experience, then you'll know that it's God. People say, well, Pastor Rob, is this God? I'd be like, well, uh, let's look to the scriptures. Well, don't you want to hear a story? It's like, well, let's look to the scriptures first. Because that'll tell us, right, what is right and what is wrong. The Bible is supposed to keep you right and what is wrong. The Bible is straight and narrow. So I got this, I'm going to bring up, and I'm going to speak on this very high level. I mean, this is a whole nother class. Let's go to the next slide. This is a whole nother class, right? Let me talk to you about an issue that was taking place back into the 1600s. When you look at the Catholic Church in the 1600s, they began to, well, they began to preach God's word, okay? Unfortunately, God's word was only written in Latin at the time, okay? And so when God's word is written in Latin, how many people know Latin in this place right now? Raise your hand if you know Latin. Exactly, it was the same thing back then. So it was written in a language where they didn't really understand, and so people would go Sunday mornings, they would go to church, and they would begin to listen. They'd begin to listen to the word of God that's being preached from the pulpit. Well, that's all they had. They didn't have the Bible. It had not been translated yet into their language. So what is the Reformation? Well, it's simply that. It's simply people had to rise up and say, well, what is God's word? I want to read it. Not, I just don't want to hear it from the priests. I actually want to hear it. I want to read God's word. I want to know if what they're saying is true. And so the Reformation began, and this was a major event, not only in evangelical history, but in history, in world history. It changed everything. 
Because now we have the Protestants and the Catholics. Let me, let me just go a little bit further. Let's go to the next slide. So here's the Catholic Church before the Reformation. It was influential and powerful, and it's, you know, it still is, right? So it was church. The Catholic Church was church. It was Christian church before the Reformation. So everything that was being said at the pulpit is what people got. Very, very dangerous to understand this, right? Because if you, if, if, I've just, if you didn't have the word of God and I began to tell you, well, God is telling you to do this. God is telling you to do this. You have no way of measuring that. The common folk had no way of understanding. It was not written in a modern or translated into a modern language. So priests were, you know, the sole interpreters of scripture. If you had a problem, you had to go to the priest. If you want to know what God said about a certain thing, you had to go to a priest, right? And then yeah, that's why you still have confession. And, and, and mind you, this is not a knock on, on Catholicism in any way. This is real history. It can't be denied. Uh, but this is not a knock to bring down the Catholic Church. This is just the way things were. It became an institution, an establishment, rather than a church. People only heard the Bible from the Catholic perspective. One perspective given to a multitude of people. Very, very dangerous. Kind of like how the media tries to control narratives and truth, right? The same thing was happening back then. If you notice, I'm trying to bring these two things together. It controlled spiritual truth and narratives. Just on Sunday morning, that's all they had, was to hear the word of God and what the priests would say, and that would be considered spirituality in their life. Very, very controlling. Just wasn't a great system at the time. It got so bad that the Catholic Church began to sell indulgences as a way to reduce the amount of punishment one has to undergo for sins. The indulgences got crazy because the people couldn't validate this. They had no way. The Bible was not written in a modern language for them. So therefore, they had to hear like, wait a minute, if, if my, you know, my Thea passes away and I need her to go to heaven, how much is that going to cost? Well, it's going to cost you $20. That wouldn't be right, right? Well, I'll make sure they get into heaven. You just, just make sure you put something in the offering basket. You know, and, and, and this was a problem. So now we have, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. The Reformation, this is what this says. The Reformation was a major movement within Western Christianity in the 16th century Europe that posed a religious and political challenge to the Catholic Church and to the papal authority arising from what were perceived to be errors, abuses, and discrepancies by the Catholic Church. Now, I wouldn't say that this was happening at every Catholic Church, but it was happening rampantly, and it got out of hand. So, what ended up taking place? People wanted to learn. So, what did it, so let's go to the next slide. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So, why the Reformation? I'm going to read this to you, the first point. Martin Luther was a man that was fed up with the Catholic Church. Okay, he was a German guy. But he was fed up with the Catholic Church. People began perceiving the errors and the abuses and discrepancies by the Catholic Church. So people started to see this. They're like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. You know, because when you don't have a correct system, it begins to contradict itself. And so people started to see this. They started to see this this incorrect system, and the contradiction started to show. So there, there began a movement known as the Reformation. The Reformation was the start 
of Protestantism and the split of the Western Church into Protestantism and what is now the Roman Catholic Church. So now you have all these different interpretations of the Bible to the, today, right? You have the, the Presbyterians, you have the, right? It, they all spin out of this. We all spin out of the Catholic Church in some way, shape, or form. And so before the Reformation, the Bible was mainly read by a priest to the church community during an act of worship, and usually in Latin, this practice changed the Reformers because preaching had become more important. Reading the Bible became the heart of the liturgy. Now that they believed they could read in their own language, it was also read individually and with the family. Luther, through his work as a theologian and translator, influenced this change. So Luther goes to school. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Luther goes to school. This is him right here. And he starts to learn and study theology. And one thing I like about Martin Luther is he was this German monk, and he had a passion to know who God was. So his idea was to study Latin and then get it translated into German. I know, crazy, right? German, what the heck? Well, he was German. So he wanted to translate it into German. Well, why is that a big deal? Because German's a modern language. So now it's not this archaic language. Now people can begin to interpret the Bible, read it, and after it was translated, now they know exactly what the Word of God says. So, you know, now they realize that there's spiritual wealth that's found in the Bible, that the Bible has something that they never expected. It has life. And now it could be taken home. It could be read on their own time. It could be understood. And so um, he says this, I love this, this is, this is what he says. I'll read it to you. At last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand the righteousness of God is that through which the righteousness lived by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were in, entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. Martin's early interpretation of what spirituality was was not faith. I know you're like, what? Isn't that what church is supposed to be based off of? Yeah, it's supposed to be based off faith. But back then it had gotten so diluted that faith was no longer a topic in the Catholic church. And so Martin Luther was fed up with this because when he began to learn Latin, he realized that the Bible talks a lot about faith. So why did I bring this up? Why am I going over the Reformation? Why did I make these slides? This is boring, that's fine. You know, I did it because I felt God told me to do it, to be honest with you. But I, I'm doing it to let you know how important it is that you know that you can read the Word of God and that that language could speak to you. And I want you to know that we are in an era that isn't as crazy as the Reformation. But it's getting there. And there's going to be different things said, different things that are going to be challenging in your understanding. And you have the Word of God to go back home and read to validate it. I love my, my, uh, my reach network churches. We preach out of the word of God. We don't hide it. We preach on things that are tough to preach on. Sometimes we're preaching on things that are really convicting towards us. You know, as pastors, we do preach on things like, man, this really spoke to me. And then you're like, I need to preach it. And it's only speaking to like one other person. <laughs> you know, it's like the pastors are laughing, right? But it's, but it's like, this really spoke to me. So language is very, very important, and you have it with you here. So now let's get into the nitty-gritty. Go to the next slide. 
Now I'm going to talk a little bit about structure, okay? When you have the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? They're not divided equally, right? You can't open your Bible in the middle and be like, oh, they're perfectly centered. At least it shouldn't be, okay? Okay, so the Old Testament, it's boring, man. Can I say that? Are somebody offended? Come on, who's going to go home and drink coffee and read Leviticus today? <laughs> it's boring. I'm saying that on purpose, okay? The Old Testament was written in this language. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. And by the way, I'm going to find a way to get you guys all of these notes, all these slides. You're going to have them all, okay? But the language, under language, Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And so when I say that the Old Testament is boring, there's a reason for that. You speak English. Most of you. I hope all of you do. Um, you speak English. English's primary and foundational language is Greek. Okay? This is known as, as kind of the Western thought process for those philosophy philosophical majors, sorry. It's a, it's a Western mindset. But the Old Testament, let's just talk about it for a minute there, and I have it written there. If you notice, that's Martin Luther. Those of you that want to get real crazy, that is a picture of Martin Luther stamping the 95 Thesis to the church. Okay? That's a big deal. That's a major, major event taking place. You can go ahead and read the 95 Thesis on your own, because I don't have time. Okay? But yeah, that, that was him just making a declaration of things that he found that were essential to reading and understanding the word of God and was on there. A lot of it was about faith. And so he nails it to the Catholic church doors and that began the reformation. And so, um, yeah, it's very powerful. It gives me chills, I, but I'm a kind of a geek, so you can make fun of me. Um, it was, so the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Why is, that, so why, is the, why is that part of the Bible so tough to read? I know I'm not the only one that thinks that in here. You, I know all of you are holy. Um, but the Old Testament's just a little harder to read. Like, it's, it's difficult. Well, because it was written in a language that you kind of don't really connect with at all. It was written in a language in a way where reasoning was different and understanding was different. Okay, the Hebrew understanding, you'll read one sentence in the Old Testament, and it'll, it'll go over like nine years. And it's because the, the, what the Jews, when they were writing this down, writing it down with the way that they reason and the way that they thought. They thought in a circular reasoning. Now, I hope I can explain this. It was a circular reasoning. In other words, they liked the beginning, and then they liked the end right away where we are different, okay? So the Old Testament, each sentence can cover, cover years at a time. It's difficult, and it's with an Eastern school of thought. The New Testament is way cooler to read because it's, I can understand it a little bit better. As a matter of fact, I don't fall asleep when I read it, um, but it's written in Greek, the foundation of the English language. So when it's written in Greek, their reasoning and thought was what we call sequential. We like to think of things like, we like progression. One plus one equals two. You know, A plus B plus C plus D. That makes sense to you. That It's very sequential. So when it was written in Greek, it was actually written with an understanding that we can connect with. And so uh, it's easy because the English foundation is a Greek language, and it was kind of the beginning of Western 
philosophy and Western thought, right? And, and so when, you know, Martin Luther begins to translate into German, now we have some new reasoning being put into there because it's a modern language. So now you have German, which is influenced by, believe it or not, both of these. So that translation was very significant that it was German. And so now the modern people have it. They can take it home. They can read it. And for those of you that may struggle in reading the Bible, and, and maybe you get, you know, you're, you're new here or you just got saved, I'd advise you to stick with the Gospels, okay? Because it'll, it'll keep you more connected. And once you learn more, you start to connect it. And once you learn to dabble into the Old Testament a little bit, you probably are like, well, I don't have a problem reading the Old Testament. You're lying to me. You're, you're lying to me, okay? And I'm going to show you why there's some books of the Old Testament that you probably enjoy and others that you probably don't enjoy, okay? So, um, so let's look at this timeline. Um, I threw this in here. So here's a timeline. The beginning, oh, go to the next slide. Sorry, sorry. I, I think I'm connected sometimes, but I'm not. Um, this next slide. So St. Jerome in 30 or 382 AD, St. Jerome was an early church father, okay? And so as an early church father, one of his things was to really make sure we had the books of the Bible, okay? And so they have the books of the Bible, but he translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek to Latin. So now we have like this inception of translations, as you will. Then Martin Luther translates it from Latin to German, so this is the timeline. You have Hebrew and Aramaic first, Greek, then Latin, and now German. And today we have every language you can possibly imagine. So how should we interpret scriptures? Let's go to the next slide. Next one. We may, so interpreting scripture could be interesting, right? Because what you've grown up with is, is kind of something that is deep rooted inside of you, right? Like I, uh, I didn't grow up in a Catholic family, but I'm very familiar. I have a lot of my friends did, and so I've learned some things. Like, um, I, actually, I'll just say this: my grandmother always said, "Don't go to the movies because it's a sin." Right? So who said amen? Oh, <laughs> right, Joe. Joe, maybe because you were told the same thing. Is that why? Okay. So yeah, you know, you, you don't go to the movies, you know, or or um, don't eat. You know, but you know, don't eat 30 minutes before you shower, or something like that, because you're gonna get a cramp. You know, there's there's like these old. There's, some of you are looking at me. I dated myself. Okay, I'm old. I'm not gonna tell you how old I am. All right, but I look great for my age. Um, you you learn these things, and they get told to you, and then you you kind of believe them as a child. You're like, wait a minute, isn't that? Or the boogeyman's gonna get you, or that that hand underneath your bed's gonna swipe at your ankles. You know, you start to believe these things as a kid, and, and you realize, you know what? I you're kind of formulated to a school of thought growing up. So when you read the Bible, and this is happening today, and I'm gonna pick on um, just this movement of of, the, of theologians that we have amongst us in the evangelical community. Um, where we read the Bible with a lens that makes us feel okay. Hmm. That breaks my heart. We call that selective literalism. Meaning you're reading it based off assumptions that you've already made or heard. And one of the most frustrating things I'm seeing today is people will, 
take a passage, maybe not even a passage, maybe like two, two scriptures, and they're going to base their whole theology off these scriptures. And I'm like, um, hello, there's a, there's a lot of more scriptures here. But when you're watching these guys on, on um, not all of them, okay, I'm not picking on all of them, you're watching some of these guys on YouTube and whatnot, and they're going off these two scriptures, man, and their whole theology is based off of it. And I'm like, uh, you're forgetting there's more. And so selective literalism is, is scary because, quite honestly, church, it's you're just wanting to find things that make you feel comfortable. You want to justify a belief system. When in reality, the Bible is trying to penetrate a belief system into your mind and even further into your heart. And so I think people have gotten away from this. And so there's things that Jesus says that makes me feel uncomfortable. Can I be honest with you? I'm like, why did he say that? He's mean. Why did, what? I have to put him before my family? You tell somebody that, it's like, wait a minute, what? For No, family's everything. Well, you know, Jesus is a little bit more than that. Let the dead bury their own. He said things like that. Well, right now, right now, God, I gotta bury my, I gotta bury my father. No, let the dead bury their own. Come follow me. Like these are things that are like, oh, give me like, come on, man, that's rough. You know, but you read that and you're like, some of us will just skip right past that. Oh, he didn't really mean that. <laughs> he didn't really just say that, did he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, and some of those he said like three times. It's called the Synoptic Gospels. We'll learn that tomorrow. Okay, but he said it, it's written three different times by three different people with three different backgrounds. Some Jews, some Greek. We're going to get into it, church. All right. So we may settle for answers to complex problems, even at the expense of truth. So we look like, oh, okay, well, I need to make this really, really simple. Well, no. Sometimes things are confusing in the Bible. So it isn't going to just be hammered out overnight. You need to study it. You need to really get into it. And so, yeah, it may be complex, but church, I'm telling you that these complex things are important. They take time. They should make you, make you want to read more. They should make you seek even deeper because sometimes we just want the easiest answer. I've been teaching for an extremely long time. And there's one thing I tell my students is I don't spoon feed. I'm not going to give you the answer. And then I'll give them a chapter. It's kind of like, here you go. Here you go. And so I, I think that's very important that we struggle with some of these scriptures as we try to unpack them. Because what I don't want you to do is take two scriptures and develop a whole theology behind it and a whole belief system. What we want you to do is really unpack these scriptures to the point where you're scratching your head and at the end of it, you're just going to end up falling deeper in love with God anyways and you still don't have your answer. For anyone that studied the Bible, you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's what happened to me. To the point where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go deeper and deeper and I realized I still don't have an answer. Why don't we still have an answer? Well, because we're, our, we are finite people serving an infinite God. Francis Chan says it the best. I'm a big Francis Chan fan. And he says, and you could judge me for that. That's fine. Because I hear bad things about him. There's bad things about every author. 
Francis Chan says it the best. He says, if I think that I can scoop up and understand God, like if I had a can, right, uh, just a can of soda, and I try to scoop up the whole ocean with that can of soda, that's me thinking that I can understand God. God is that vast. He's that deep. So when people say, well, why did that, you know, why is, why is the Bible making you cry? Well, because there's an infinite God and he's doing something inside of you. And you don't shut your Bible when you start crying from reading it. That means everything needs to stop. Maybe you shouldn't go to work that day or something because God's trying to speak to you, right? And this is what I love about my Reach Network, man. We, we are so sensitive to the spirit. And the same thing should be applied when you're reading God's word. We could be more committed to religious beliefs taught us that, that are taught in our childhood than we are to the actual teachings of the Bible. So why do we, why do we have this, this, these different points all over the place of understanding theology and, and we have an evangelical community that is fighting with each other based on the basis of theology from an Arminius perspective and a Calvinist perspective. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. But we have that today and it's based off salvation. We're arguing about something that we have no control over. We're arguing about something where God, he's the one that controls that. Right? And so you want to argue about salvation and you want to argue about these different things and it's because we have this selective literalism and when we do that, we are just basically catering to ourselves rather than to the presence of God. And so we have that because we have a lot of Christians today that don't have any foreknowledge of the Bible and that's the whole purpose of today is, and, and the next couple of days is to talk about foreknowledge. Go ahead and and put that slide up there. Before knowledge, before you apply a method of interpretation, you must know some things before you read. And one of those things is the structure of the Bible. You should know the structure. I found a lot of people arguing about things in the Bible because they don't know the real structure of it. They may be arguing on something that was written from a, po from a poetry genre based, based on something that was written in a narrative. Those are two different genres that really don't click. As a matter of fact, you should be approaching a, the Bible knowing what genre you're reading. If I'm reading poetry, if I'm reading narrative, if I'm reading a gospel, if I'm reading all these, if I'm reading the prophets, if I'm reading, you know, these things are very, very important, but people want to just argue about the two verses, right? So the first thing I'm going to tell you is know your book. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Know your book. Foreknowledge, you got to have something. So I'm just going to go over the structure of the Bible for you. So go to the next slide. So the Bible is a collection of books, right? It's a collection of books. It's not one. I, mean, I remember when I got saved, I thought Jesus wrote everything. Come to find out he didn't write anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait a minute. He didn't write anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, why am I reading this if the guy I love isn't writing it, right? How does this work? It's a collection of books, has many works, many authors, many different times, several languages, Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, but God is the ultimate author. Well, how does that work? What the heck? This is, this is painful, right? Let's go to the next slide. We're probably going to move a little faster. So you need to know your genres. If you've never know the, known this about the Bible, you have to know your genres. I think people 
anyone ever do this before? God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to really speak to me. And in Psalms 149, and you just start reading. That is the worst way to study the Bible. I'm going to ask you right now, don't ever do that again. Okay? Don't ever, have some structure behind it. You say, you know what, I, you know what? I'm going to read the Psalms today. But if you know what you're getting yourself into, you can receive it in the way it was supposed to be received. Right? And so what I love too is in our worship, right? We, we sometimes are singing songs that are from, wait a minute, that's in Psalms. Or, you know, that's in, and, and again, it's because they're, they're, they're meant to be read a certain way. So each genre is, me, is meant to be read a certain way. So let's go to the next slide. So this is the different genres I've mapped out for you guys, okay? And I'll make sure you guys get this. You have the law, okay? So there's, you have the law, which is five bullets there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we're going to go over these really quickly. Then you have history. Remember I said the Bible is a history book? You have history, and you actually have Old and New Testament history. That's right. The New Testament is also historical. You know, the walk of Jesus and his ministry and the birth of the church. These are all historical. Then you have wisdom, books of wisdom and poetry, right? You have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Psalms, Song of Songs. If you read Proverbs, you will literally get smarter. <laughs> that was a joke. Thank you for laughing. Um, Right, you have you have uh, Psalms is a little different. Psalms is very poetic, okay, it's very poetic. So you're not gonna you, you you shouldn't be reading and looking and asking the same questions as if you were asking, you know, in in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Psalms. You should be asking different questions when you're reading history or the law, okay. Then you have the prophets. Oh yeah, this one's heavy. Why is it, look how many books the prophets have. And yet some churches don't believe in prophecy. When like 80% of their Old Testament is prophecy, right? So you have prophets, right? You have minor and major prophets found in here. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Why do we have all these prophets? We'll get to that, okay? Then you have letters, Letters, what, what, what do you mean letters? Yeah, they're written for a specific audience, for a specific time, for a specific period and circumstance. But guess what? We're, we're actually get to see it. It's like reading a confidential letter from the government or something, right? And, and so you have the letters, man. The letters are fun. The Apostle Paul wrote a, like two thirds of these, okay? He writes these letters and, and they're to churches of instruction, right? To certain people. And so we have to approach those differently. We are looking in to a circumstance. We are looking into a specific, you know, time and purpose that these were written. And they're literally letters. They start off by greetings. You'll see words like greetings, brother. Greetings. We celebrate you. This is very formal. And in Paul's writing, I love that about him. Let's go to the next slide. So why the law? Let's talk about the law. The law is considered the first five books of the Bible. It is known as the biblical law. It contains the written traditions and holy scriptures of the Jewish and Christian faith. So the law, when you really get into the nitty gritty of it, the law is the first five books written by Moses. And it was kind of instruction. It was given to them to just give them basic instruction of how to live a good life, right? What they should do inside these books can be a little boring, 
Okay, I like Genesis. That keeps me glued. I can get into that. You get me into Leviticus, you're losing me here, man. All right, you get into Levitical law and it starts talking about different sacrifices. But guess what? It's really not that boring if you know exactly what's being talked about there. The different spices of, of sacrifice that they would put. And then you go all the way back to Revelations and they begin to reference that. Ooh, right? Then you're like, wait a minute. The Bible validates itself? Yes, it does. The Old validates the New Testament. The New Testament validates the Old Testament. Gives me chills. I love it. Remember the books alive? And they validate each other, but yet they're not the same people writing it. They're not even in the same time zone. I'm, I'm sorry, they're not even in the same time frame. Sorry, they're in the same time zone. I believe so. No, 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 no. There is, uh, well, now I'm going to look it up. No, it is a different time zone. It is a different time zone. But Paul, Paul changes the time zone. Paul does. Okay, um, so, so they're written at these different eras, and you're just like, wait a minute. How are they validating each other? How was that taking place? Well, because he's an infinite God. He transcends time. Here's, uh, go to the next slide. The law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books. How should we approach the books of the law? Simple. It's early instruction. Jesus isn't there yet. Theologically, I don't want to get into it. Jesus is not there yet. Okay, he's not walking around. He hadn't started his ministry. He's not there yet. Then you have, um, then you need to understand it is instruction from God himself. So God is, right, you know, they're writing and, and, and they're writing this down. And it's instruction from him. You'll read about, you know, Abraham sacrificing his son. You'll read about things like that. The voice of God being recorded. Okay, its attended audience was for God's people. <gasps> what is that? Is that me? Well, we could talk about that later. God's people, right? I'm, be, I'm just going to be candid with you. Who is that? Those the Jews. He's writing it for them, right? So they, this is tradition. This is recorded history for them. The author is Moses, right? Let my people go. You guys, I think everybody knows who that is, right? Let my people go. That's him. He wrote those. Records the guidance of God and reveals God's intended relationship with man. Whoa. Yeah. When he created you, he created you intentionally. He created mankind intentionally. So when you read it, you need to understand that it was created intentionally. Okay? So what is the historical books? Historical books are the books. Let's go to the next slide. Sorry. Historical books are the books that contain the documented events of the nation of Israel, Christ's ministry, and the early church. This is recorded history. Next slide. How should we approach the historical books? They are narratives. So it's as if you're reading, you know, um, Harry Potter. Let me just, I've never read them, okay? But if you're reading Harry Potter, you're reading a narrative. You're reading a story. These were that. This is a story, but it's not a fictional story. You're literally reading things that have been recorded and traditions that have been passed down. They're not fictional characters. These things really happen. When my Bible says that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, you have to believe that. Okay, these are crazy things. I know, like, wait a minute, what? Well, are you sure he was swallowed? Was he maybe just, like, in the corner of the tongue? Like, <laughs> you know, like, just hiding out? 
sneaky Jonah? Or <laughs> um, it's the it's the his, a history of Israel, right? It's progression, it's story. So yeah, you can you should be able to read it and then say it back. You should be able to tell the story. It's a story. It's historical, and it's a story. So it's literary. It records the kings and the prophets. Prophets are important. I already told you that. You could see that already just by the narrative, right? And it's the story of Jesus, the gospels, his ministry. And parable. We have parables in there where Jesus begins to talk and he's not really giving us any names. Like, wait a minute, what do you, you know, a, the kingdom of God is like a man who sold everything, right? And he treated it like a treasure and he buried that treasure. You're like, wait, well, who's that guy? You know, you don't, you don't have a name to it. It's a parable. So you're right, you're reading a, his, a story of Jesus, a historical account, right? You're, you're reading that, and then, it, it, again, it's inception, and he's telling a story, right? So, so that's how you should approach it. So, so in your mind, what are you picturing at that moment? You're picturing Jesus, like let's just pretend it's a Sermon on the Mount. You're picturing him on the mountaintop. You're picturing him as people are listening, like you were listening to me, that people are actually, some people are walking away, some people are staying. They want to sit and listen to the end of the story. And he's telling the story. So you're actually imagining what's taking place with Jesus in that setting, and you're imagining the story that he's explaining. It's literally like an inception taking place. Um, and that's parable. And so the, the historical books are Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Wisdom literature. This is the, the ones that will make you smarter. Wisdom literature in the Bible is recorded spiritual poetry, wisdom, and teachings. So next slide, if you go, how should we interpret wisdom literature? It's poetry. It's not a narrative. It's a, people talking about their failings and stuff. They're getting all, you know, weird with their heart. You know, they're being transparent. Very different than reading historical. Right? Don't take it too literal. There's different figures of speech, which we'll go over next, or next class, but there's different figures of speech taking place. And so not everything should be taken literal. Well, in Psalms, brother, it says this. Let's just stop right there. Do you know what you're saying? That's poetry, man. There's no river that runs across the world. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> so again, it, I hear these conversations, weird conversations like that. Well, in Psalms, Pastor Rob, like, just stop. Psalms is beautiful. Just take it for what it is. It flows. Poetry flows, right? It begins to flow, and, and it'll make you feel good. You read it, it makes you feel good. It's great. Personification. Oh, yeah. Personification. This is a real, it's a real word. I'm not making it up. For those of you that study literature, personification is when um, certain objects are giving a personality or in the steps of a person. For example, in the first three chapters of Proverbs, uh, you'll notice that it's talking about a woman, but it's referring to her as wisdom. And, and, and this is personification, giving certain attributes a physical, you know, a physical sense where, hey, well, it's wisdom, but it's showing and it's explaining it through like a woman. It's very powerful. 
So we, we see that you don't have to take it always literal, and, and it's very, very methodical in how it's placed. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. What are the prophetic books? Prophetic books are books written by the major and minor prophets of the Bible. They record the words and instructions given to Israel from God. So they are speaking as they hear God's voice. They are recording that. Okay, they are recording that. These are very, very important because in the prophetic books, there's major history that is taking place. The settings are never pleasant. They're almost never pleasant. These settings are Israel is about to get crushed by the Assyrians or the Babylonians. Who do we turn to? We need to turn to our king. Well, our king's not powerful enough. Who do we turn to? Let's turn to God. And thus God speaks through the prophets and that's recorded. Okay, let's go to the next, next slide. So how should we approach the books of the prophets? God is speaking through them. God is giving instruction. God uses the prophets to speak to people and kings. If you know your history, or you know your Old Testament a little bit, you'll notice that kings will keep prophets close to them. Elijah being a great prophet was kept very close to that. The king would go to him, say, give me advice, give me understanding here, and he would give it to him. The prophets served a very powerful powerful purpose. So uh, it aligns with the history of Israel and it aligns with the kings. Uh, the prophets align with the kings as well. So if you read about a king, chances are there's a prophet that wrote a book that was right next to him. Pretty fun stuff. Okay. Let's go to the next one. What are the letters? A letter is dialogue written to a group or a specific person in the Bible. A letter served the purpose of communication and instruction, usually based on circumstance. So basically what I'm saying here is that there is a circumstance that caused an individual to write a letter to a group or a setting of people. And you are now just looking into that circumstance. These are very interesting because a lot of it relates to modern day circumstances. For example, in Corinthians, where they're talking about how you shouldn't sue people or sue each other, you know, and then you have the whole Jew and Gentile conflict that was taking place in the New Testament and how we should receive our brothers, the Jews, and our brothers, the Gentiles, and we should begin to mend this mold that we're grafted in. Let's go to the next slide. So how should we approach these letters? We are not the original intended audience. You are reading a letter. You could argue a little bit of it is historical. A lot of Paul's letters were to churches dealing with certain issues. And so he addresses things like, very simple, like, how do we rebuke a brother in church? Okay? Uh, honestly, we follow that to this day. And it's crazy because you think, like, how do we, a brother that's just, you know, out of control, like, you know, what do you do? You talk to him, right? And the Bible gives you instruction of that. You talk to him, and then if he doesn't listen, then you get some guys around him. Hey, bro, intervention time. <laughs> right? This is written all the way back then, man, all the way in the New Testament. This isn't something that, you know, we came up with. Um, we are reading a letter written to, uh, to a group of people or a person. Paul is generally the author. It's instruction for the early church. And his, the letters are Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First through three, John and Jude and Revelation. So these are the letters. And you're like, wait, Revelation's is a letter? Yes, it is. 
from a guy named John on the island of Patmos who was exiled. It was a letter. And you're just kind of looking into that. So other things, know your gospel for foreknowledge. Know your gospels. This is easy. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're saved. You passed the exam. Congratulations. Right? You, but what about the gospels? Well, did you know the gospels? It's pretty interesting. The gospels, they kind of record the same events. So if you read all of them, you're like reading the, the gospel, you know, you're reading Jesus like three times over. So let's go to the next slide. So there's my man right there. What? I could say that. Okay. Uh, the gospels rec uh, records, uh, records and uh, records and history of Christ's life and ministry. So this is interesting because this is where we see Christ begin to move. He begins his ministry. And it's, it's actually in, if you get a map, which we'll get into in just a minute, you get a map. It's literally like an inch. His ministry on a map, it's just like that big. But it impacted the world. It's like this big, but it impacts the world. And then you got the Apostle Paul who's all over the Mediterranean Sea. He's everywhere. Three missionary journeys. And then Jesus is like this little, just this little bit, but impacts the world. And it's because of the records and the history that we have today in this book. Literally, the Gospels get people saved. It's it, sometimes that's all. I remember when I when I first came to Christ, the only the only Bible I had was this New Testament Royal Ranger Bible. I still have it. It's very thin. It's like this big. I think it was my dad's. Like, right? And I think he just didn't want it anymore. <laughs> um, and so I just took it, and I still have it to this day. It's on my bookshelf, um, and it's like it's like that big. But I realized why. I always ask myself why just the New Testament? It's like, isn't there more? Right? And I realized, well, it's because the most important part is the Gospels. It is the most important part. It details of, it gives us details of Jesus' missionary journey in Galilee. It introduces discipleship. We see how, what discipleship is and what that truly meant. Right? It introduces the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on. If I don't leave, the helper can't come. In John chapter 16 through 18, I must leave in the upper room. I must leave so that the helper can come. The Holy Spirit is known as the helper, right? A collection of Christ's teachings, his parables. To this day, like, I remember one time, I'll just share this. What time is it? Oh, I got plenty of time. Um, I remember I got asked, I think, I think Pastor Angel, I think you were, you were there on this one. I got asked to preach in Mexico. And I remember saying, well, I don't speak uh, Spanish. I know the name is completely, you would think I do, but I don't. I'm completely I'm messed up in that area. I don't speak any Spanish. And I remember, I remember Pastor Mondo telling me, bro, get out of your head. Just go up there and tell him the gospel. And I'm like, okay. And it was literally, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared out of my mind. Right? And so I go up there and I realize that this guy came up with me. Apparently he was my translator. Right? And so I just begin telling the story of the prodigal son. This is Jesus' parable. You know? And people got saved. Can you imagine that? People getting saved just because I knew and all I did was regurgitate the prodigal son. It's powerful. 
I think we're all prodigals in here, amen? Like we're all, we're in some way, shape or form, we're all prodigals, you know? And, and, and so people got saved and I'm like, what the heck? I don't even speak this language and people are getting saved. The gospels are, are powerful, man. Let's go to the next slide. But there's something called, so we have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You're probably wondering, why am I bringing this up? Well, the synoptic gospels record the same events, like exactly the same, and in the same order. Why is that important? It's important because it validates each other. That word validate, it authenticates it. We have, we have several different people, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, writing about the same event, from different perspectives, from different background. Matthew and Mark were Jewish. Luke was a Gentile. Not only that, an educated man, a doctor. And so he's validating. So therefore, there's no race here that could say, well, that's, that has an agenda. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have an agenda. There's no agenda there. It's validating the same events. When the police interrogate you and your homies, what do they want to do? They want to separate you, right? If you guys don't know this, you're going to learn something. <laughs> they separate you. You guys got to tell the same exact story. He's like, somebody's going to mess up, huh? Yeah. Somebody's going to mess up. Like, wait a minute. You got to say it the same exact way. Because if you don't, what does it do? It invalidates the story. What's taking place here? You could take these guys, you could put them across the world in different penitentiaries, they're going to tell you the same story. It validates each other. Let me, thank you, let me read this. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic Gospels because they include many of the same stories, often, or, often in a similar sequence and in similar or sometimes identical wording. It's, it's just, if you want to read the gospel, I would read the synoptics because it's like you're reading it three different times, but you'll notice the perspectives, a little changes. For example, in on the crucifixion, what I like, my gospel, and I brag about this with other nerds like me, well, my gospel is Luke because I love the whole thing about when he gets pierced in the side and Luke says like just an extra sentence says he died like of a broken heart because the water flowed out. Oh, I love that stuff. It's like, oh, because he's a physician. So he's writing like from a doctoral like perspective. And so you see those things. And I love it. I just love things like that. Um, let's go to the next slide. I'm, I got I to get going here. Know your major events, right? Major events. Well, what does that mean? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you to do something tonight or before next session, okay? What I want you to do is write down the major events from the Old Testament, the Bible, the whole Bible, from the Old Testament to the, all the way to Revelations. I want you to write like a timeline of events. For example, here's a quick timeline I wrote, which I'm not happy with. When I was studying this in my hotel room, I realized I left out so much um, because the Bible has so much. So here's my timeline. Let me just go over with you. And this helps me understand when I'm reading the Bible where I'm reading and where it falls in this timeline for me. Okay, I'm going to start with, okay, creation. All right, Genesis, got that, check. 
then enslaved in Egypt. That's right, they were slaves in Egypt, right? So then Moses sets them free. Okay, good, I went to, you know, children's church. Then they wandered for 40 years. Then the Joshua conquest, because I like Joshua. I love that whole story of Joshua going through the conquest and fighting for the promised land that was promised to them in the covenants. Know your covenants, okay? Abrahamic covenant specifically. Um, then you have Saul and David, kingdom established. Oh, yeah, the kingdom of Israel established, then destroyed, like in three days. Took 72 years, took like 72 hours to destroy it. <laughs> love your Bible, love it. Then the kingdoms divided, destroyed, north and southern kingdoms. Then you have the Assyrian exile. Then you thought, okay, now they're coming back, but guess what? Then there's the Babylonian exile. And you're realizing, what are they going through, right? Then you have the prophets. Then, oh, this gets fun. Christ is born. Redemption, right? Christ is born. Then the atonement, right? The atonement is the crucifixion, right? And the, and the resurrection. And then Christ, reign, right? Christ reigns in the church. And then the end times, right? So I want you to put your own timeline together today. If you really care, right? Do it. And then I want, if someone, if you find someone tomorrow that did the same thing, compare it. And then you'll realize your timeline will grow a little bit more, a little bit more. And then if you realize, wait a minute, I don't know what you wrote down here. You wrote this down. I don't know what that is. Then you can ask, what, about, what book of the Bible is that? Then you read it. Then you add it to your timeline. Then you continue to build your timeline. Because really, everyone in this room, everyone in this room kind of has, has bought, all, we all bought the same puzzle. Some of us have put more pieces down than others, but everybody has missing gaps. So what you're going to do is you're going to try to fill those missing gaps. When you're reading God's word, you want to make sure that you, you read something that is going to be constructive for you. Like, wait a minute, I don't know so much about this and I want to learn more. Run to that. Run to the things that interest you, the different types of books that interest you. Run to that. Run to those things. Because if you do what, you know, your Thea did, where she just did this, say, I'm going to read the Bible today. It's not going to speak to you unless you do it systematically. Then I threw this slide in here. Um, I kind of just threw it in. Go to the next slide. 400 years of silence. Because this is the, called the intertestamental period. This is the period that is between the Old and New Testament. It's 400 years. Why is that important? Well, because when you realize that the prophets wrote things about Jesus in the Old Testament and how accurate they were, they're actually writing those 600 years before the New Testament. So what does that do? Why do, I, why do I throw that in there? Because I hope it brings value to you to understand that no other book can do that, where you have these prophecies and then you see them validated, but the culture was, everything was different back then. So the 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament is called the intertestamental period, about which we know great deal from extra-biblical sources. This period was violent, with many upheavals that affected religious beliefs. This was like the Dark Ages. It's just a dark era. There are extra-biblical things, but not biblical things written. When I say extra-biblical, those are things outside the Bible. Things that are written, you know, like an another book. 
Has anyone heard of Polycarp? Anyone ever heard of that name, Polycarp? No? Nick, come on. Thank you. <laughs> Polycarp is a, is, is a great early church father who writes a lot about the Bible. I, I like him, but he's not biblical. He's extra biblical, right? When I showed you, um, or I put St. Jerome up there, early church father, right? Early theologian, but he's not biblical. It's extra biblical, okay? So next thing, next slide, know your geography. This one, we fall short on so much, and really, we're not asking you to know a whole lot here, okay? Those of us that want to retire and go on a Mediterranean cruise, this is what you're going to see. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide, okay? I think I threw two images in there. I don't think you're going to see them. Nah, they're not going to see them. Um, like I said, I'll try to get this to you guys. The Bible takes place in the Mediterranean area. So if you go and look at the Mediterranean Sea, you're going to notice that um, most of this map is water. It's water. Okay? And so in the center is water. And then it just, all it does is this. Okay, here's the center. And the land just kind of does this. These are all the beaches. All the way down to Egypt. That's it. And then you come up a little bit on the side here of the shoehorn. That's Israel. It's Galilee. It's where Jesus did his ministry. Right? And so you got to know where these things are taking place. And it's really not that much. If they're wandering, they're like, okay, they're somewhere in between Israel and Egypt. Right? It, make, it makes sense that way. Right? So you, you, have to, you have to know the geography. When you know the geography, it piques interest. It should pique interest. Okay? That's all purpose is one thing I appreciate about my grandfather um, who passed away. But he always had um, the Mediterranean maps all around his garage. Like, you know how people, like, they want to, like, resurface the garage, make it, like, nice? Not him. He just put maps everywhere and hit everything. And so when I was a kid, I got to look at these maps. And I actually, because he did that, I, to this day, I kind of know those maps very well. Um, but you got to know the area. Because if you know the area, you know, for example, the New Testament, that Paul was trying to get to Italy. Yeah, Italy's up there, right? And that was his sole purpose. His mission was... Number one, get the Gentiles saved. Number two, get to Italy so they can be saved. Because Italy's important. Rome was of influence. If he can get there, a mega port city, he can influence, right, with, with his understanding of Christianity, if he can influence it, it would reach the world. He gets to Italy, but he's incarcerated. He's in prison. But he got there. And some people say he died in the Colosseum. So that's why it piques interest. When you know your geography, it piques interest. Know your authors. Let's go to the next slide. Know your authors. You got to know who they are. Who wrote this book? Right? Who wrote it? Why? Who are they? What do they do? Well, Pastor Rob, how do I find that out? Get a study Bible. It's the best way to find out. Yeah, you could use the internet, okay, if you want to be cheap. Okay, but I would encourage you, get a study Bible. Why am I recommending a study Bible? In a study Bible, it begins to tell you who the author is and who. Not just the title of the author, but you could look up who that author is. What's his background? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Because the Bible's written by different authors. Not only is it different genres, 
different books, different time, right? Different authors. Let's go to the next side. 36 total authors in the whole book. 36 different backgrounds. Some are prophets, disciples, patriarchs, sinners, eyewitnesses. <gasps> sinners wrote the Bible? Yeah, <laughs> hate to break it to you. Yeah, and David slept with Bathsheba. Was that a secret? Right? God works through these things, man. He works. There's no sin that he can't, he can't overcome. He'll use it for his benefit. Right? And so God works through this. So know their backgrounds. Where does the author get their authority? This was a problem when putting the books together. The authority of the author had to be known. Like, who is this guy? Is this Joe Schmo? who felt like he got a revelation and now we should give him a, a pen and paper and write it down and put it in the book of the Bible? No. The Bible was selected purposely and it was researched who these people were. They serve a purpose. They have an authority. They carry a mantle to some shape or form and that's why it's there. As a matter of fact, there's actually a book in the Bible that doesn't have an author. <gasps> what? How do we validate that? It's called Hebrews. But if some of you that are scholars... You probably have your guesses of who wrote it. I have mine. It's a good argument between brothers and sisters, right? Because of the language. If you read your Bible enough, you can identify possibly who the author of Hebrews is, right? And so that, that's, that's the thing that you want to look out for. What is the language being used by the authors? Okay, know your timeline. I put this in here. Uh, I, had to do, I had to do this. And it, this may be very elementary, but a lot of people don't know this. Okay, so when you're looking at a timeline, okay, B.C., before Christ, okay, I mean, this is the easy term, before Christ, that number is going to get smaller as it gets closer to Christ. You need to know that because when you look at your study Bible and you look at, you know, 349 B.C., right, you're like, that's 349 years before Christ, so when that number gets smaller, it's getting closer to Christ. Let that be, you know, let that, let that be, you know, a little thumb of, of truth there. And then AD is after death, okay? So it's important that you know this. I know a lot of people probably already know it in here, but I had to throw it in there. Know your cultures. Let's go to the next slide. Know your cultures. Know your cultures. What does that mean? The Old Testament time and the New Testament time were very, very different. Very, very different cultures, okay? And when you look at that, you have to understand what does that look like? This one is a little difficult to do, I'm going to admit. But you have the internet, so there's really not an excuse to understand what life was like in the Old Testament and what life was like in the New Testament. So let's, let's kind of break this down. For example, let's look at Old Testament culture. Go ahead and go to that slide. This is Old Testament culture. Jewish teachings... Very primitive, primitive, and very nomadic. Okay, let's talk about this. When you're reading the Old Testament, you see that structure I got there. It looks like, you know, like a youth camp revival taking place, right? So you'll look at that and you'll probably say, what is going on there? That's the tabernacle, right? So people wanted to worship God. The Israelites, as they're roaming during these 40 years, they would literally take a section of that, including kind of the fabric area, the fencing, and each person would carry this as they're 
walking and wandering for those 40 years, they're literally carrying this lumber. They're carrying all these different things. And why are they doing that? They're doing that because they need to make sacrificial offerings. They need to do those things in order to be in good standing with the Father, God himself. So they would do that. They would, they would build it wherever they're at, and God would speak to them. The, the centerpiece there that you see, kind of like that, that's the actual tabernacle. Outside of that, you'll see like a little altar right? And you'll see like a bowl. That's where they burn the incense. That's where they sacrifice the animals, right? So if you have a now a visual of this, when you're reading it in the Bible, you're not going to fall asleep. So look up pictures. Look at, that's the best way to understand what culture was like, is to look up pictures. So when I say that they're nomadic, it was literally a mobile temple of worship, right? So it'd be like if Pastor Mike would have to set up his church every time he wanted to talk to God right? That would be crazy, but that's what they did. And they would set it up and then they'd say, oh, we got to move again. Let's pack it up and let's, let's roll with it, right? And so they would do that because at this time also, guess who wasn't there? Jesus. So they needed to follow these traditions in order to stay in good standing with, stay in good standing with God. So let's go to the next one. Be my last slide and then I'll let you guys know, the New Testament cultures. Greek influence. Okay, some people call this, do I have it up there? I don't think I do. Yes, I do. It's a bad word. Hellenism. Okay, some of you may have heard, that, heard of that term in school. It's the birth of the Greek thought and Greek philosophy and even mythology, right? Hellenism was a big deal. So it would encourage people to learn philosophy, encourage people to be smart, be logical, this was huge back then. So when you're reading the New Testament, you actually see this. You see it with Paul. He's very good with his words and his writing. His writing is very crafty. It's, it's very intentional in the words he uses. And so he's trying to reach the Greek. You also have um, the Greek influence. You have the major trade routes and port cities. Because remember I said the Mediterranean area. See how it's all coming together now. You had these port cities that were there. Inside of these port cities were just kind of a mishmash of ideology. Let's just put it that way. Why? Because trade routes were being invented during this time. And as trade routes would open up, it would open up the, the flow of ideas and thought. So these flows of, this flow of ideas and thought began to take place. Guess what? Christianity was one of them. Christ was one of those things. So they had to overcome different types of religions. Lots of walking. I put lots of walking up there. The Roman roads. I call it the modern day internet. The Roman roads were being built. People were walking up and down, able to trade, barter, same thing. Able to talk, exchange of goods, exchange of ideas were taking place. But lots of walking was important. They would go on journeys together. People would journey with each other. This was a form of working, a form of, you know, labor. Then you had the Jews and Gentiles. I'll just talk about this briefly. If you don't know what this is, right? So there's two groups of people really in, well, there's more, you can argue, but really it comes down to Jews and Gentiles, right? Jewish people, Jerusalem, right? I always just say that to have fun, right? But people from Jerusalem, right? The Jews who are the ones that, you know, the Old Testament was really written about. And so then you have the Gentiles as anybody that wasn't Jewish. Hello, that's me, right? Um, or a lot of us in here, right? 
So some of us are Gentiles. Well, when Jesus died, it kind of kind of had a little bit of a problem was, did he die for just the Jews? Well, we know that now with general revelation, right? But we know that now, but back then they didn't know that. They're like, wait a minute, this guy Christ, he's talking about the Old Testament. Oh, he's for the Jews, right? Like, no, he's not for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles also. So Gentiles started to get saved. The Jews didn't like it. They're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? This is my God, not your God. Like, no, 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 no. This is my God too. I, I like Jesus. I like what he said on the Sermon of the Mount. I like what he said, right? And so there, we had this mix of people, this mixed batch now of understanding. And then people had to figure out, like, can they? And if you read Acts chapter 15, you'll know that Paul goes and he begins to argue, like, Gentiles don't need to be circumcised because that, oh my God, that would be painful at the age of 33 or 34, right? Nobody wants to get circumcised. That was a problem. And so they, they, these, you're laughing, but these are real issues in the Bible, right? And so if you don't know these things and you don't know the culture, you're going to just gloss over that, that Paul's actually fighting for you to not get circumcised, guys. And so he begins to fight that fight, but it wasn't about circumcision. It wasn't about these Jewish traditions and these Jewish laws. It was about things have changed. Christ died for all men, Right? New beginnings are taking place. So how we treat our brothers, the Gentiles, is very, very crucial. So you'll see in this letter that Paul addresses this constantly because his sole purpose or his job was he wanted to get Gentiles saved. And so we get to see that. We get to look and read into that. And it becomes very, very powerful. So this is day one. Day two, I promise you, let's go to the next slide. Here's your homework. There's your homework. Read 20 verses. That's all I'm asking you to do. Uh, read Philemon if you can tonight. But listen, church, listen. I know we've gone long today. Tomorrow, we're going to get into the inductive method. It's going to be even just a little more granular of how we're going to read these things, okay? And then I want to do a little practice with you guys as well. So I want you just to read Philemon. Just read it, okay? And based on what you kind of learned today, just read it and begin to ask yourself a lot of why, because we're going to be talking about a lot of why tomorrow, okay? So read Philemon. Why am I asking you to read Philemon? When was the last time you heard a sermon preached on Philemon? Exactly. The Lord spoke to me and told you to read Philemon. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I want you guys to read Philemon and figure out what it's about, who wrote it, figure out the different things about it, and so that you can find some interest in it. Because when you have the foreknowledge, you'll have the interest. Amen? So with that, I've, you guys are dismissed. Thank you so much. I know I went over. But we'll be back here tomorrow at 7 p.m. Thanks for tuning in to the Reclaim Church podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to stay up to date with the church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX. TX.